0: everybody, welcome to another episode of the PewDiePie Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And we want to welcome you back. Uh, Jim, I, you've been pretty sick lately. How you feeling, brother?
1: You know, I have to issue an apology to everybody. The uh, the, the goose egg last week was totally my fault. Um, I, I, you know, I started having uh, symptoms that Dr. Google told me was pretty close to COVID, so I freaked out a little bit. <laughs> Got my first shot down, but hadn't had my second one uh, until then. So, yeah, it turns out I had uh, strep, which I uh, have not had any anything like that since junior high. So it just kind of caught me off guard. I mean, everybody's so on their on their toes about uh, COVID that it just had never occurred to me it could be anything else. But, uh, you know, I'm almost done with the antibiotics now. got my second COVID shot yesterday. So, you know, arm's a little sore. I'm still a little weak from the infection running roughshod through my system. But uh, at least I can talk again. So we're back on the mic. Right, you being not able to talk seems to be like a travesty,
0: given that uh, that seems to be your natural propensity. So,
1: uh, an occupational hazard, I guess. But you know, <laughs> you can't do a podcast if you uh, sound like uh, sound like somebody's choking the life out of you. So, um, but I'm glad to be I'm on the mend and and uh, happy to be back in the saddle. Well, I'm happy that you're back. I'm sure uh, uh, everyone else is happy you're back.
0: Uh, uh, I can't. I don't like to speak for other people, but, you know, fuck it. I like listening to you talk,
1: so why not? <laughs> well, I hope somebody does, or else I'm really spinning my wheels over here. Right. So,
0: now, uh, one of the things I kind of wanted to have a discussion with you about, and I've been kind of waiting and, and, and eager and anticipating having this talk with you because it's something that's been first and foremost on my mind, given that uh, a large part of my fandom Diagram happens to fall down on uh, comic books and comic book related media uh, and, and of course, video games and shit like that. But uh, comic stuff is super in the media these days with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the DC Extended Universe, and then all the different cartoons and TV shows and everything else. I mean, it's a huge marketplace right now.
1: Yeah, it kind of um, seems like the only movies that are getting made are uh, sequels, remakes, really cheap horror movies, which are really inexpensive to produce, and then your sort of standard summer tentpole blockbuster superhero thing. Ever since Marvel really kicked things off 10, 11 years ago, um, superhero stuff is, is is hotter than ever, and it's it's what's getting made. Well, and the fun thing
0: about that is uh, there's never been uh, specifically one type of comic property that uh, succeeds or fails uh more so than the other uh we have comics that run the gamut i mean you've got uh your team-based stuff with the avengers movies and things like that but you also got room for comedy and you got room for a little darker shit in there and you know the x-men franchise saw a little bit of that uh interplay the spider-man franchise has a little bit of uh, levity in it but seriousness and the the kind of the thing that has uh struck me recently um, is this turn of comics properties towards the edgier material, the, the harder uh, like horror dramatic episodes or the, you know, the thriller type things that are uh, maybe less uh, flights and tights and more.
1: I don't know. I'm trying to think of a word, a way to phrase it, but uh... more darkly psychological, sort of like more looking into, like we talked about uh, an episode or two ago about how, you know how having superpowers might actually kind of suck in a lot of ways you don't really think about. Um, you know the the famous Spider-Man maxim of "with great power comes great responsibility" is is just a very layered thing that keeps on boomeranging back into the culture because with great power comes great responsibility, and with great responsibility comes great psychological weight. So I think, you know, in the 60s we kind of had Superman, or excuse me, Batman with uh, uh, Burt Ward and and Adam West doing the the bang-zoom kind of goofy, campy stuff, but then, you know, at some point, and I think we'll probably be able to pinpoint pretty close to when this happened, uh, things turned a little bit, and people realized, hey, you know, if you're essentially a god among humans, and especially given the origin story of some of these heroes... You're probably going to be dealing with uh, with quite a bit of uh, of angst and and just pain just that sort of like drives sheer you forward to baggage, yeah. yeah. And so the, the comics started to, as we realized that you know people are, as as we sort of drifted out of the very uh, sepia toned fifties and sixties and the the um, the post war era of you know chrome fins and white picket fences and a chicken in every pot, we started to realize, hey, you know what? People actually have problems. They have psychological issues. Rather than like the World War II vets coming back and just kind of shutting up about it and getting on with their families and lives, um, you know, the Vietnam vets came back and a lot of those boys were were pretty fucked up. They had a lot of shit to deal with. And so, you know, there wasn't that that expectation of stoicism anymore. And I think the horror of, of that war in the late 60s, early 70s, I think had an impact on the zeitgeist in a big way. And it started to turn the tide of entertainment away from being... Flighty escapism towards we can start tackling some. Uh, you know, we went through this horrible Dark Knight of right. the Soul as, as a country. We can start tackling some of these these heavier psychological issues in our entertainment, and that of course was was reflected in all aspects of entertainment, including as it turns out a lot of the comic based properties.
0: Right, and 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 we didn't really I don't think see a shift in uh, comics, a proper comic medium, uh, until right around uh, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns.
1: Yeah, 1986 is a real, real big year for comics. Watchmen. Uh, uh, Yeah, Watchmen, Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns. And and, uh, Alan Moore started uh, making some waves. uh, So, you know, and and Neil Gaiman started kind of laying some groundwork. So, you know, we started to understand that even though, you know, these comics were essentially dealing with brightly colored superheroes who like to punch evil in the face, that we could also start kind of looking at, at, at the fact that they're also human in a lot of ways. I mean, even if they're aliens or mutants or whatever else you, you, your origin story is, right. essentially you're, you, you have superheroes that are kind of dealing with very human issues. Spider-Man was one of the first, very famously to... Um, I've seen interviews with Stan Lee on talk shows, on the Dick Cavett show, uh, from the, the late 60s, early 70s, where he's talking about how you know he really wanted to create a hero that well, yes, I have to uh, save New York City from the lizard, but then I also have to make sure that I bring Aunt May's eggs home unbroken and, and make third period algebra at the same time. He's, he's, he's a very grounded human hero that has incredibly terrestrial concerns in addition to trying to make sure that the entire city's not on fire.
0: Right, and I think, uh, and, and in fact, speaking of Spider-Man, I think that Sam Raimi was the only one who's really tackled that kind of juxtaposition in, in Parker's responsibilities uh, he's done it, Certainly, did it better than any of the other ones, of course, because we see, yeah. you know, Peter delivering pizzas and having to, you know, do errands and shit while he's working. But tomorrow
1: morning, Spider-Man, page one, with a decent picture this time. Move Conway to page seven. Uh,
0: uh, we don't see the the human side of them and often enough. And you're right; it, it seemed to be more of a shift towards, you know, this has to show multifaceted layers it has to show that you can be a hero but yeah you are still intrinsically flawed like everyone else
1: yeah and the groundwork that uh, that Stanley laid with Spider-Man in the 60s and 70s i think like you said really came to fruition in the mid 80s when we had stories like Watchmen we had stories like uh Dark Knight Returns where a lot of people who didn't really buy into comics or who thought ah comics are for kids those are those brightly colored magazines on the racks next to the Uh, candy bars at the grocery store we started to really understand that comics had an opportunity and not even just an opportunity but a responsibility to kind of grow along with their audience so we wound up having uh not just comic books anymore not just the biff bang zoom evil is punished after it gets punched in the face and everybody goes home happy but we started having things like graphic novels we started having actual literary stories happening mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in an illustrated sense right around the mid 80s right around that Renaissance when when Frank Miller and, and Alan Moore and uh, a lot of those guys really started to kind of stake their claim into what comics would become over the next well until now
0: well up through and including now and, and it's kind of interesting to see because I mean like I said I grew up on Batman I was always a huge Batman fan. Yeah, and me Bat- too. Batman, of course, is always very dark and very kind of in the shadows, but they Sorry. did go through kind of a, a a comedy style, a camp style, if you will, with the Adam West and Burt Ward uh, Batman in the 60s. And uh, I think uh, the comics kind of followed suit with that. If you look
1: at, like, you know, Batman meets the Scooby Doo gang or The Oversized all- Typewriter, The Giant Penny, The T Rex in the Batcave, it was very Yeah, the right challenge and of the super friends, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and, but uh, you know all of that when they got back to the fact that hey dude this guy's parents were murdered in front of him and then he decided to put on a Dracula costume and punch people in the face <laughs> when a bat came crashing through his window. I mean Batman's got some pretty dark origins if you really think about it, and they kind of lost the thread of that a little bit when uh, when when the sixties rolled around and and the because the they tried happy, to be campy, lighthearted and yeah they wanted to yeah. be
0: lighthearted and playful and and I don't certainly don't fault them for that, but we had this shift from. The camp over to like you said once. When, when Frank Miller came around and started doing his Dark Knight Returns storyline, and the Watchmen storyline from Alan Moore came out, uh, we started seeing this. I don't want to. It's hard to really say realistic side of things. I mean, because we're still dealing with a world where Kryptonians fly and shoot lasers around their eyes, but
1: but it was a lot more adult, grown up, and and yeah,
0: and 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 it tackles topics like uh, you know mental health and and mm-hmm. and and. and, and things of that nature and so one of the things that i guess always i guess makes the the dark knight return such a compelling story is because you see the negative side you see the downside you see what happens when a superhero gets old and yeah. irrelevant and broken and the weight of
1: all the things they've done yeah. is dragging them down every day absolutely i and mean it was the first time i think we really sort of realized that you know hey it's, it's all well and good for Batman to truss up the Riddler and ship him off to Arkham Asylum, even though he knows he's going to escape from that. But let's unpack that for a second. I mean, it's Arkham Asylum. It's a mental health facility. You know, Batman is, is uh, he's out there saving the city, but he's also beating the shit out of people who have some serious mental health issues.
0: Well, right, and, and that's not to say that he doesn't to say have nothing serious... of his own mental health
1: issues like his own. yeah
0: <laughs> and, and there was a funny meme that went around a while back it's like uh, people die, you know they have to establish their own headcanon and things like that and sure one of the ones was like uh uh now picture this batman is in the lunatic asylum he's in arkham asylum bruce wayne he's not batman this is all kind of a uh uh headspace thing for him it's all part of I his think mental I read this too, yeah. derangement like the Joker is a different part of his psyche. The Riddler. The, the is a Joker part of his is the style. funny
1: orderly that he doesn't like, and then the Riddler is the guy who too never gives him a straight answer. And these, he's really he's in a padded room. Yeah. And uh, all the, the the Rogues Gallery that he's he's imagining are actually just people that are trying to help him to come out of his shell from the PTSD of watching his parents die in front of him on a sidewalk when he was ten years old.
0: And he's just fighting it, and thereby him fighting it in his head, he's creating this. Mythos, and they toyed around with that a little bit, and I, I don't mean to derail the conversation, but I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and any chance I get to relate to Star Trek, I will. Sure. Uh, they had a couple episodes of Deep Space Nine where they uh, toyed around with the fact that uh, uh, the whole concept of Deep Space Nine, uh, Star Trek in general, Captain Sisko in specific, was all made up. It was all told from the perspective of this uh, pulp fiction writer in the 50s named Benny Russell and you know he's convinced that uh, you know Deep Space Nine is real and the prophets are real and this that and the other thing but everyone around him is a reflection of you know like the publisher is Odo and like his cohorts on the ship or, or on the station are all people
1: that work at the magazine with him and everything and you know, I keep on threatening this, but at some point we're going to have to really do a deep dive into the Tommy Westfall multiverse theory, mm-hmm. uh, which I think we've touched on before. Which is, uh, again, I don't want to derail it even further than we already have, but it's a <laughs> TV theory that states that um, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 40 to 50 percent of all television series are, are happening inside the brain of an autistic boy uh, who shook up a snow globe at the end of the final episode of St. Elsewhere, and somebody went in and figured out. Based on a flow chart and all the crossover characters, of which uh, Richard Belzer's Detective Munch, who appeared on at least six or seven different TV series as that character, is the key to connecting something in hundreds of television series that have had crossover episodes and common elements that all supposedly exist in the same universe, and they're all apparently just figments of the imagination of this incredibly uh, sheltered but but interiorly active uh, autistic boy who... uh, who shook up a snow globe on a television episode, and that's a fascinating. We'll have to do a whole episode on that. That's that's at least an hour's worth of content right there. But um, <laughs> yeah, there's you know you can certainly uh, there are arguments to be made that that when you start delving into the psychological profiles of these people who feel compelled to put on costumes and punish evil, that you're going to start getting into some some sort of uh, darker grittier aspects of, of these characters you come to know and love. Right, and and, and I know
0: there's a lot of. Uh... You know, family groups out there who talk about the uh, the violence and the the swearing and everything like that, sure. and they get all up in arms about, uh, oh, this is supposed to be a comic book; it's not for kids, and it's like, uh, oh, we had the same thing going on with Lil Nas X recently with his uh, yeah. song "Montero," call me by your name. Call call me by your name. Parents are up in arms, pissed off about the fact that they let their kids watch his Old Town Roan video and get all uh, up into the character of this gay black entertainer. Cowboy. Right. And then when he releases another song to reflect on the fact that he's constantly being told he's going to go to hell because of who he is and what he is. Then he makes a video showing him going to hell and dominating in hell.
1: Meanwhile, all all these parents are are usually of the same age group that watched uh, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, where Saddam Hussein (laughs) had a gay relationship with Satan 20 years ago. Saddam, I only came here because I need closure. Sounds fun. You know me, I'll try anything. No, Saddam, listen to me. Would
0: you like a drink?
1: Maybe just a little one. And, uh, you know, they turned out just fine. It's it's just, it's the responsibility of every generation of not just entertainers, but entertainment consumers to kind of paint their parents into a corner and force them to clutch their pearls over, oh, what will happen to the children if they're exposed to entertainment on this level? But every generation has that. And, of course, you look back on it, and whatever it was that your parents are clutching their pearls about now was is pretty mild by comparison, going back all the way to... You know, in the 50s, rock and roll culture happened. And here's the greasers with their pompadours and leather jackets and cigarettes rolled up on their sleeves, rubbing their motorbikes. Oh, the delinquency, the uh, <laughs> the, the, the James Dean youths misspent of it all.
0: And then, of course, you
1: know, the hippies had the uh, the free love era and all the drugs. And it, every generation has that thing that makes the parents go, oh, my goodness, the children won't somebody think of the fucking children. <laughs> And, you know, it just kind of perpetuates itself forward and never really ends. It's just you got to come up with uh, new and interesting ways to shock people. Right.
0: And and I think that's what happened with with Comics Medium, too, is because uh, we got to a point where telling these clean-cut, you know, wholesome, gee-golly-gosh stories (laughs) didn't seem authentic.
1: Yeah. It wasn't true to the human experience anymore.
0: Right, exactly that. And... And uh, so we started getting things, grittier things like uh, Frank Miller and, and Alan Moore, and of course... And there's a
1: direct line you can draw from Dark Knight Returns directly to Tim Burton's 1989 Batman, which was one of the first mainstream expressions of that. I mean, you know, certainly Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen caused ripples in the comic book world, but it was largely contained to the Geekosphere at the time, which was nowhere near as prominent as it is, as it is now. And uh, the 1989 Batman film with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson was one of the first times that superhero entertainment really came into the mainstream and i remember that movie being absolutely fucking huge at the time it was mm-hmm. one of the biggest things in the entertainment that had happened to that date and of course you know a couple years earlier we had things like Ghostbusters, we had indiana jones so we were starting to kind of like go back to the pulpy roots of these swashbuckling heroes like alan quatermain and and tarzan and all that and begin to tell these bigger stories on the screen now that we had the special effects and the the scope to be able to do it um but yeah i mean it, it just kind of became a thing then and it's it's never really stopped.
0: Right, and, and, and in and now we're kind of in this renaissance where yes uh, we've we've got a couple of creators to thank and I and I know it's uh it's a lot of people and it's a lot of creators out there, but anymore it seems like the combination of Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen are kind <laughs> of driving forward this this uh darker edged comics medium as tv show kind of thing because they had their hands in preacher Mm -hmm. which if anyone's not read preacher of course it's not a a superhero comic by any chance but it is a comic it is a comic adaptation
1: it does deal with a person who has supernatural abilities who uses them in ways that you sometimes agree with and sometimes don't by design right uh kick ass uh mark miller i think
0: uh fantastic book fantastic movie right and then of course uh the boys on uh on, on Amazon Prime, which, of course, is, again, another Evan Goldberg and, and yeah. Seth Rogen thing. And uh, that, of course, is a super dark take. And we're going to jump into uh, talking deeper about those uh, shows as well. But uh, it's just kind of a neat thing. And, and, and kind of what brought this topic up for me is I started watching. They've got uh, Robert Kirkman, creator of The Walking Dead, has been doing a comic series for about 13, 14 years, something like that. Don't check the math because I don't fucking know. But... Uh, <laughs> He's been doing a series uh, called Invincible, and I'm not going to spoil it for anyone out there uh, because it's just a brand new. But the comic, if you've read the comic, you know what the hell's going to happen. But a lot of people are fresh faced to it. Like I
1: know Jim, you haven't watched it yet,
0: so it's I don't definitely
1: wanna... in my queue, and i have been meaning to catch up with it. I've just been kind of laid up with uh, with trying to catch up on work after being sick, but uh, I'm definitely going to check out Invincible. Fucking as soon laid as I up possibly with your, can. laid up with your fake COVID. Oh you shut up <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: perfect but uh there's this like I said there's this real turn towards the gritty and it's kind of yeah. neat to see uh, as an adult because you know I get to watch this shit I'm not uh, I'm not like a 12 year old and 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 bound by whatever my parents think is right or not right I yeah you have the choice to anything. choose uh, yeah. entertainment that matured along with you You're right. And, uh, and now I find I have to make that choice for my kid, whether or not the things that are happening in, well, like, recently it was the Snyder Cut, the DC Universe Snyder Cut. Now, he'd seen the yeah, for sure the Whedon version of Justice League, uh, which, you know, we can do a whole episode talking about the pros and cons of both um, if we want to get super granular and get in an argument about shit, but... Uh, Case in point is I had to make a judgment call on the spot because I wasn't sure what exactly the Snyder Cut included and entailed and how dark it
1: gets. Because and... so if you know anything it, else and... about Zack Snyder's previous work, you know he doesn't exactly pull a whole lot of punches.
0: No, and we discussed a lot of that in the uh, property damage uh, uh, episode where we talked about you know Man of Steel and things like that. And just the superhuman degree of damage coming out of those, but... But uh, that's kind of uh, what we're looking at at this point because we've got this, uh, like you said, it's matured with me. I've gone from watching things like Challenge of the Super Friends and Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends and all those benign kind of goofy satirical comic works into things that have become progressively more adult and more uh, not kid friendly I guess. A more
1: realistic take on what it would actually be like to be a superhero which really does kind of dovetail with some of the stuff we talked about before about what having superpowers would actually be like we focus more on the physical aspect of it uh, during that particular episode but this one I think is is sort of a almost a sequel in a way because we're looking at sort of the psychological aspects of what must it be like to to have the yoke of responsibility like that what does that do to a person's mind
0: right exactly so we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to start digging into these shows and what makes them what makes them compelling television what makes them uh fun to watch and we'll kind of go from there stick around Welcome back, everybody. So Now, we were getting ready to start talking and diving into this recent trend of uh, comic book media being uh, super dark and edgy and and where it works and where it doesn't work. And I think we already started talking about where it kind of didn't work was in a lot of the DC Universe stuff uh, early on. It was very heavy-handed and very dark for dark's sake like batman versus kind of crossed over
1: into camp without even trying to in a way like the whole bats v soups thing was just kind of like martha you know it was very overwrought why did you say that name it's his mother's name it's his mother's name and just kind of comical on the screen even though it was just trying too hard to not be that and right. that's kind of why it was that
0: and that's why I think uh, movies like Wonder Woman and Shazam at that time were such a, a breath of fresh air for that franchise, yeah. and an Aquaman too, oh. to to a, to a lesser degree, but because they were weren't afraid to just have fun, they weren't afraid to be serious and be dark, but also lighten up when the moment hit. And yeah. and I think in a large degree that's where Marvel has kind of had it over uh, DC in in terms of. You know, why their market share is so high and why their fan base is so rabid is because Marvel has found a way to do this balancing act between the story that needs to be told and and, and very positive and very emotional storytelling involved, but also mm-hmm. anchor it with heart and humor and and, and really make it accessible.
1: You know, kind of how life is. <laughs> Not everything is always all grim or all sunshine, so... To be able to uh, to have those moments where, like on the Carrier where you've got Tony and and Steve staring each other down, put on the suit, the best thing that happened to you came out of a bottle, and all that stuff. But then you also have like those moments where, uh, rather than embracing and celebrating their victory, Hulk just side punches Thor into the middle of next week. But you, you've got those moments where things are 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 serious. But then you've got those moments of, of levity, and and that's they, they've managed to like you said they they've really struck a fantastic balance with that. So. Nothing is ever too overwrought and nothing is ever too silly or goofy. And again, that, that really just makes it more like life where there are peaks and valleys and everything. That man is playing Galaga.
0: Thought we wouldn't notice, but
1: we did, you know? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But I understood that reference. Yeah. There you go.
0: (laughs) But, uh, I think, like with DC's movies, uh, they've been really trying to find that balance and that level. And so they brought Joss Whedon in to do his hatchet job on Justice League. And,
1: mm. you know, it's been widely, widely panned. The disgraced Joss Whedon, the who ne- I'm kind of holding off on watching The Nevers, because uh, I've just heard that uh, even though it's kind of a, a great story whose time has come, his fingerprints are kind of all over it in a way that is unwelcome now. Oh, I know. And it's so sad because. You know, we
0: talked about this with the cancel culture episode and sparkling consequences and whatnot. And so there's lots of, yeah. of of media out there that I really enjoy that has this sheen of horse shit smeared all over it now. Yeah, it really does. And so, I mean, I have a friend. Uh, I think I still have a friend. I haven't talked to him in a lot of time, but uh, he got super pissed off when Disney fired... James Gunn and
1: mm-hmm.
0: decided to just do a blanket ban on all things Disney. And we got into a heated that's debate a about wide that. swath. that's exactly what I told him. I said, uh, we got into this heated debate back and forth about it because he's like, Well, I I'm gonna go on his ban, I'm not gonna do anything that they touch because, you know, they did injustice to uh this guy who didn't deserve it. And I'm like, You realize that Disney owns Marvel and Star Wars and and Pixar, Pixar and, and, and all of this shit that we have grown up for years loving he's a geek like i'm a geek you know star wars geek uh comics geek things like that and i yeah. said you realize the wide-reaching consequences of your blanket ban statement there right and he's like don't care yep. and like even after they rehired him uh me and another friend a couple of friends were going to go see uh, captain marvel when it came out and yeah. uh we tried to get him involved, and he got all pissy and hot and bothered and and not wanting to do it because of this band. And, and I think that's probably the last time we talked because he just got all upset about the fact that we weren't respecting his,
1: uh, his take on it. And it's like, you know, I don't know. It's problematic. Well, it's like we talked about in the Sparkling Consequences episode. James Gunn is a different case because... I mean, especially when compared to like an Agena Carano and Kevin Spacey, because he fucked up, but he owned up to that and he apologized for it. And he said, I'm trying to be a better person. And he moved on. And therein lies the difference between him and, and, and somebody like Louis C.K., who's just trying to sort of like slide back into public life without actually issuing any contrition for the shit that he pulled. Um, but again, I don't want to derail things and get back on that subject again. But no. sort of a neat <laughs> segue uh, with uh, with James Gunn is that James Gunn was responsible for a film that kind of really uh, dovetails pretty neatly with with the kind of stuff we're talking about, and that's Brightburn. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was his, his sort of alternate reality take on the Superman mythos. Uh, what happened if Clark landed in Smallville, and rather than having decent parents who instilled in him this very Boy Scout level of do-goodery, uh, what would happen if he turned into a supervillain instead and began using those powers for evil from a very early age on? And we talked a little bit over the break that, you know, you and I have not actually seen Brightburn yet. I have seen the trailers. I sort of have an idea of what it's about, which I just sort of laid down a second ago, but I have not seen it. But it definitely is one of those uh, things where, but for a couple of factors that determine the character, of Superman slash Clark Kent in a very early formative stage of his of his character's development, uh things could have gone a very different way. Right. And we talked a lot about that type of thing in the uh the episode about multiple
0: realities, which is great. Yeah. Uh that's definitely on my list. But yeah, as an example of of edgier material and darker storytelling and uh something that is of course necessary Um, I I feel like, yeah, we've advanced as a culture far enough to where we don't need our comics, you know, uh, watered down and and kid-friendly all the time. And certainly there's plenty of material that is uh, kid-friendly and approachable. There's Teen Titans, Teen Titans Go, that kind of thing. And you have like the CW TV shows while being uh, pathos and dramatic as they are. Uh, You know, you shouldn't be afraid to let your children watch. There's there's certainly the
1: flash is always skewed toward a younger audience and that's totally fine. Right. And I had a guy come at me uh, like a little over a week ago talking
0: about Supergirl and how he was super down with Supergirl until they got all into the
1: uh, transness of it all. And it's like, really? So you weren't down with Supergirl? And again, we talked about this quite a while ago on one of the previous episodes we did about Star Trek where, you know, oh, it just got all woke. Where the fuck have you been? It's pretty much always been that way. It's
0: like, when did Star Trek become for social justice warriors? It's like,
1: Uh, Pretty much 1966, always. motherfucker. Yeah,
0: from the get-go. And and so that's kind of funny to me. And, and so yeah, all of that is to say, now we have this, like I said, we talked about uh, Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen being yeah. kind of on the forefront of bringing these darker, grittier story takes to us. And We, of course, had uh, uh, Zack Snyder's Watchmen movie, which, again, Mm -hmm. love it or hate it, it it did a fairly decent job of representing what the comic was about.
1: It did make some pretty serious deviations from the source material, but Mm -hmm. given what you and I both know about screenwriting, it was, in a lot of places, pretty necessary to do that. Yeah, you got to punch that up. But yeah, if you want to talk about um, Rogan and Goldberg and, and what they've done for Goody Superhero Entertainment, we really need to kind of do at, at least a, a, a brief overview of The Boys. Now, if you haven't watched The Boys on Amazon Prime... What the fuck are you uh, doing you're here? At all into superhero entertainment, then yeah, you really need put this podcast down and go watch it right now. Uh, there are two seasons... Is it two seasons? Yeah, they got two seasons out. They're working on the third one now. Working on the third. Uh, so there is kind of a moratorium, I guess, on spoilers for that first season. But if you haven't seen The Boys, then hit your skip button for you know maybe three or four, uh, 30 seconds ahead on your, your, your podcast app right now. Because that uh, series opens up by letting you know exactly what it's going to be over the, the run length. If you're unfamiliar with the story and haven't seen the comics, you may think it's just another brightly colored superhero drama. It, but it, is it really not. isn't. Within the first five or ten minutes of the first episode, um, one of the superheroes, uh, A Train, who is sort of a speedster character in the vein of like Flash or Quicksilver in this particular universe, um, runs bodily through the girlfriend of one of the soon to be protagonists, Huey. She's standing on a, a curb and he's looking into her eyes, holding her hands, and they're having a heartfelt conversation, and suddenly she explodes into a red mist of blood and giblets because her body has just been run through by the speedster character and he, was and he gets left about half hold, a block up he's like holding her hands yeah. and that's all that's left of her covered in her blood an a and train stops and oh I'm sorry my bad and you know about half a block down no he didn't even uh, stop. But, he didn't even say anything that was the whole, oh you're right he that did. was the
0: whole thrust of it he runs through her looks around realizes what he did and then just leaves takes
1: off yeah so, no contrition at all. None. Uh, so, and then here's Huey sitting here holding his girlfriend's hands after she exploded into molecules in front of him, because she got creamed by this superhero, and uh, and that kind of kicks off. That's the inciting incident that sort of brings him into the sphere of and the involvement with this underground ragtag band of sort of self-appointed vigilante mercenaries, whose whole job it is is to uh, to defeat the supers. And in that universe, the the primary Team of Avengers or Justice League superheroes is called the Seven. Oh, the Seven! And it's comprised of oh, the Seven. The, the Seven. It's it's comprised of as the title indicates, seven superheroes. Oh, they have kind of a shifting membership. It's always seven, but there's people that kind of float in and out of that collective over the course of the next two seasons. Right. But um, they present a public face of being very rah-rah patriotic, boy scouty about protecting the populace. But very justice. As we soon discover. Yeah, very, you know, waving the American flag and truth, justice in the American way. and But then as we see over the course of the next two seasons, uh, that's just their public face of PR and behind the scenes at their headquarters and their operations, those guys are anything but. And it's sort of like, especially with the character of Homelander, mm-hmm. takes the the tack and the the approach that unless you were had an unimpeachable sense of duty and right and wrong like they try to build into characters like Superman and even to a certain extent Batman who refused to kill even though it would be, you know, much easier to sort of wipe out the Joker. And, and you know that's another thing that's kind of if I can digress for a second here, sure. been a, a very central theme of like the Batman character, is that you keep putting him in Arkham. the Joker keeps escaping. He kills more people, so it weighs heavily on Batman's psyche that every time he doesn't kill the Joker, several more people die based on the fact that he didn't. But he can't bring himself to do it. It's kind of the trolley problem, of uh, you know, do you let the trolley careen down the tracks and kill five people, or do you flip the switch and and uh, and and force it to kill one person? You kill five people passively or one person intentionally. What is the better choice? in that scenario, and Batman struggles with that all the time, and so does Superman, you know, because good is forced to play by certain sets of, of ethics and rules that evil feels no compunction to follow. Right. So, uh, but The Boys takes this this idea that if you were essentially immortal and all-powerful, as, as especially some of these characters like Homelander are, you know, what's your motivation to, to use that, your powers for good, except in a very facetious surfacey public sort of sense in order to keep your PR and your, your public image from descending into the toilet. Once you're you're immortal, you have these gifts, you have these powers, what's keeping you from just using them for personal gain and and punching the shit out of anybody you disagree with, good or evil or indifferent. Right, and I
0: talked about that a lot when I was talking about whether or not when I had Jedi powers, if I'd be good or bad or whatever. Yeah.
1: And and it's the same
0: thing. It's like I'd like to think I'd start off all, you know, benevolent and kind and and willing to help and and righteous well, pretty soon and,
1: you'd be waving your fingers in the air at a cashier at the grocery store and then taking rent out of the till you know it's <laughs> nobody is as perfect and absolute power corrupts absolutely so you would like to think that yeah i'd use my powers mostly for good but in, in certain instances uh you know the walmart's not going to miss this stuff if i can just freeze time for a second and cart it on under my shirt right and we get a real sense of that with both on both
0: sides of the coin too with uh uh, amazing acting done, and I got to say, I listened to a podcast the other day with uh, Carl Urban talking about uh, the boys and things like that. And he's just so humble and amazing and awesome to listen to. Yeah, he's I, great. I, I love that guy. And then to see the heel turn that he does as Billy Butcher is fucking phenomenal.
1: Yeah, there's another guy that knows a thing or two about gritty superhero entertainment because he is Dread. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is uh, Bones in the uh, in the grittier new uh, Star Trek movies. Executioner uh, he, in the he MCU. Is,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, he's he's uh, he's he's a guy who, just maybe based on uh, the intensity of his of his outward appearance, does tend to, to to fall into a lot of antihero roles,
0: and 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 of course, so he's kind of got that energy as well that uh, I'm going to do what I want, just what I want, how I want it, and you know you know what's going to stop me and get in my way. Yeah, and if you don't like it, you can fuck off, mate. Right, and then Homelander, of course, is the other side of that, but very much the same kind of energy. I'm a superhero,
1: the world loves me. I can do literally anything I want, you
0: know? and the final
1: scene of that final episode of the second season of The Boys is Homelander standing on a, uh, the ledge of a of a Art Deco building next to some gargoyles, looking out at the city that he knows he can do anything with anytime he wants. Essentially masturbating into the open void and just repeating to himself, "I can do whatever I want." It's just not essentially the absolute masturbating. Most, actually masturbating. You know, you don't necessarily see it, but it's fairly obvious what he's doing out of frame, <laughs> and it really is just a, a metaphor for uh, these guys literally getting off on the power they have, and, and the fact that there's nothing, if, whatever they want to do, there's nobody and nothing that can really stop them from doing it.
0: Right, and the whole thrust of, of the uh, thrust. the boys, <laughs> gross. the whole thrust of the boys so far has been, you know, power unchecked, meeting, you know, excessive response, and... And, so, and we also have that theme in uh, a little bit of the uh, Preacher series. Now, I've only seen the first season yeah. of the Preacher series. but I read, here. I read all the books back in the day, Garth mm-hmm. Ennis' books, and they're yep. absolutely fantastic. Uh, I highly recommend a, a, it. A stellar example of the medium if you haven't checked them out. Right. If, and for those who don't know what I'm talking about, the, the be-all end-all of it is there was a, a demon and an angel who had a baby. Against heaven and hell's wishes. The uh, baby. lover's story. The, the power. I, I, think, I forget what they call it. The presence. Uh, ends Something like up, that, yeah. Ends up uh, taking the physical form of a small town preacher named Jesse Custer and uh, it inhabits him. And, and as it inhabits him, it grants him the ability to have the voice. And what the voice is is the ultimate power of persuasion. He tells you to do something, and it compels you to do that thing, even if it's, hey, put a shotgun in your mouth. You know, okay, well, I guess I got to put a shotgun in my mouth. You
1: know, it's implied that it's essentially the voice of God. He issues if he says something with enough conviction and with a certain tone of voice, it becomes an undeniable, irresistible command. Holy yeah, it it. it must be
0: followed. And uh, so the whole idea is that now Jesse's got this. Uh, supernatural power uh, at his control, and he's so disillusioned with the whole prospect of organized religion as a whole that he goes on a mission to find God and hold him accountable. <laughs> and it's very violent, very bloody. His uh, assassin slash whatever girlfriend, former girlfriend, and uh, a vampire are his traveling companions. As the yeah. forces of organized religion and heaven and hell are all hunting him down to try and neutralize this presence. So, uh, very compelling books. Very well written.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but again, another example of power corrupting. And But a- another great example of this uh, darker-edged kind of uh, approach is uh, Mark Miller's take on... Uh, the teenage vigilante type superhero, the Spider Man without powers, kick ass. And yeah, well,
1: I mean, he's kind of got a little bit of powers. He's he's uh, he's unable to feel pain, uh, which I suppose <laughs> is another one of those things like we talked about a bit ago. Oh, no, it was uh, great. <laughs> yeah, about you know what the the, the burden of that. It sounds kind of cool on the surface. Well, I can't feel pain, but it also means that like if somebody breaks your leg and you keep fighting, you don't necessarily know that you've been incapacitated. So it's like most things. It's a, it's two sides of a coin.
0: Right, and so we get you know the edgy edginess of that with like uh, uh, villains and, and and people like the Red Mist and things like that, and uh, you got Hit Girl who is definitely fucking a fantastic, chaotic, neutral kind of character. And uh, I mean, it's just very well written, very well performed. Uh, and then now they've got a new series, like I said, on on Amazon Prime, Robert Kirkman's Invincible. Which, while being an animated series, uh, and it's beautifully animated, very beautifully animated.
1: but yeah, I've seen the trailers. I, I really need to catch up on the episodes they've got out so far, though. Gritty. Very yeah. gritty. And, and For as I, bright and shiny as it is.
0: Right, and, and I don't want to spoil anything, and in fact I refuse to spoil anything. Because we haven't reached the spoiler moratorium on that, but there are things that happen... Just in the first two episodes that make you
1: sit back and go, holy shit. Like, did that just happen? You know? On a brightly animated cartoon that looks like it would be for kids? Like a a Justice League on the mornings? In Saturday mornings?
0: This is definitely not one you want to show your kids. I can guarantee you This ain't
1: your kid's cartoon superhero show.
0: Uh, My 16-year-old's watching it with us, me and my wife. uh, and, And I'm praying that that decision doesn't come back to haunt me. But it's just like... Fucking, the deck is stacked with this show as far as voice talent goes. Uh, It's got...
1: Well, J.K. Simmons is fantastic, and he's always the best thing about anything he's in.
0: So, in addition to J.K. Simmons, which, of course, as you said, he's great in everything, you know? Yeah. I I shocked my son the other day. I'm like, you know what my favorite J.K. Simmons role is? He's like, oh, are you talking about uh, J. Jonah Jameson from The Spider-Man? No, Yellow M&M. Just (laughs) really fucked him up. It was great. Yeah, the
1: fact that we've got an Oscar winner that's still doing the uh, Farmers Insurance commercials and voicing the yellow Eminem. that guy, he just, you know, uh, he's—he's—he seems like a really cool dude. I I think he'd probably be a lot of fun to know. Well, we got Stephen Yen from uh, Walking Dead fame, Glenn.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Sandra Oh. J.K. Simmons. Also amazing. Zazzy Beats. uh, Who, as you know, Domino Domino. from the Deadpool films. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Who else do I recognize? Kevin Michael Richardson, whose voice is literally in fucking everything. Cause he's that good. Walton Goggins. I love Walton Goggins. He's amazing.
1: Ah, uh, he's, he's 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 sort of the ascended character actor. He's a vet guy actor that you've seen in a thousand things, but he's uh, he's really coming into his own lately with stuff like, um, oh gosh, what's that series he did? The Unicorn was fantastic. Uh, he he had a really uh, a critical part in uh, Hateful Eight, Tarantino movie. He did the he's Shield. A great actor.
0: I loved him in the Shield. Yeah, he's a great actor. We got Zachary Zachary Quinto. Yeah, Kerry Payton who's from Walking Dead plays King Ezekiel in the Walking Dead. Uh Mark
1: Hamill's so in it. Fucking Clancy Bob is uh, he's pulling in a lot of his old Walking Dead buddies. Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, Seth Rogen's in it. Of course he is. Fred <laughs> in it. Uh Ross Marquand, uh, Michael Dorn is in it for fuck's sake. Star Trek royalty right there.
1: Uh, Ross Marquand, I mean, he's he's uh he's, he's got a voice uh, like a canvas. That guy he he's the guy who everything. filled in for yeah, he's 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 a a very gifted impressionist. If you haven't uh, seen him, you gotta Google him. He's he, there's a, a really creepy deepfake video where he's on some talk show, and he's doing impressions, very spot on impressions of celebrities. And and the deepfake it. guys have, have morphed his face into the person that he's he's you know uh, impersonating at that point. He's very good, but he's all he's so good. When Hugo Weaving didn't want to come back to play the Red Skull in Endgame, Ross Marcon stepped in and and did the voice and the motion capture so they could. CGI the uh, the Red Skull over him and and he's he was there uh, when uh, when not only when uh, Black Widow plummeted to, to her death but when Thanos sacrificed Gamora for the, the the stone.
0: The stone demands a sacrifice of what? In order to take the stone, you must lose that which you love. A soul for a soul.
1: So he's he's a fantastic actor. But yeah, just really. Um, if if the, the the roster of voice talent on that alone does not convince you, you need to watch it. Um, Man, I keep going you know, the down fact this that it's, list.
0: It's absolutely crazy. Uh, Reginald Bell Johnson, Justin Roiland, Sonequa Martin Green, Lenny James, Ezra Miller, Demiju Jo Hansen. Uh, this is crazy. How many good people are in this show? So yeah, okay. I'm 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 sucking the dick of Amazon Prime's. Uh, Invincible right now and, and rightfully so if you haven't seen it I recommend you go out and see it We'll do an all episode once the season wraps up But uh yeah I mean it's such an amazing time to have these these darker takes and And when we come back from this next break I want to kind of break down Uh what's right what's wrong with the ability to take a, a property and make it You know grimdark for grimdark's sake so Uh stick around Welcome back. So, all right, we've talked about you know these where grimdark goes wrong with like the Justice League and and uh, with uh, like Batman vs Superman and and things like that, Man of Steel, uh, where it tries to take these bright and shiny characters and make them dark for no reason. I think, like I said, I think they're following the mold of your. Dark Knight Returns, and your Batman, and, and your 89 Batman. Sure. And they're trying to make something stylistic, and trying to make something gritty and realistic, but they're really kind of falling into the realm of satire almost, because it's just almost overboard. It's almost
1: too much, you know what I mean? They do cross into self-parody a little more than I think they're they're trying to, certainly. I mean, especially if you look at something like, like we said before, like Batman versus Superman, where it's you know supposed to be, there are elements of that that were taken directly from Dark Knight Returns, that were just ripped right off the page and put on the screen, pretty much frame for frame, if not dialogue-wise. Mm-hmm. So it's clear what they were going for, but when right. it worked on the page, it really didn't work on the screen because, I mean, I saw Batman versus Superman in the theater, and when the whole, my mom's name is Martha, two-line rolled around, you could people were laughing. Like, i like
0: groaned, and I know there were people around me that groaned as well. It's just like, oh,
1: really, God. For, seri- really? They're, seri- they're going there? That's what they're going to do? Oh, okay, well, that's... I and guess. they just, you know, I they were building we that. that and building that, and it was clearly intended to be this, this giant, you know, emotional reveal, right? And it just fell absolutely flat. So, and they, it, it kind of like uh, very famously years ago when uh, I don't remember who the director was. I think it might have been Joss Whedon again when he was talking about that X Men movie um, where Halle Berry gave the overwrought line reading of, you know, what happens to a toad that gets struck by electricity, <laughs> and you know, when Ray Park got nailed and you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning?
0: The same thing that happens to everything else.
1: That was written as being like, yeah, same thing happens to everybody else. It's supposed to be like a real flippant, yeah, well, you're not special sort of line, but she delivered it with this gravitas that was entirely inappropriate for the moment. And it was just like, you know, Superman versus Batman was like an entire movie of that moment. It seems like there's this fine line
0: that people dance around, directors and, and creators dance around with trying to make it relevant, and make it accessible, and make it not kid-friendly. And I don't know if it's, it's to make it not kid-friendly, necessarily, but it's to make it more approachable Adults. to a grown-up audience. Sure. But then you have things on the other side, like uh, when, when Deadpool came out, we had a lot of parent groups up in arms about uh, the fact that we had this bright, colorful superhero, quote-unquote superhero, and just the ever-rampant stream of profanity and violence and blood
1: and everything that came out of that. And it's, they got all pissed off. That is what that movie and that character absolutely had to be. There was no way around that. You could not have brought Deadpool to the screen in any other way besides the way that Ryan Reynolds and and Fox did.
0: All right. And so it's the same kind of thing that we've got with, uh, like we talked about little Nas X a little bit ago and how uh, parents just Fell all over themselves, loving Old Town Road and the, the hit that it became, and and and, and jumping on the Little Nas X bandwagon without necessarily agreeing with who he is or knowing who he is, or acting like you care about who he is. And then when Montero came out, which I still haven't listened to, I need to uh, sit and listen to it, but. When Montero came out, they're like, oh my God, my kid listens to you. How dare you? And it's like, first of all, I never said I was a, a, a four children recording artist. You know, that's on you. If you're not the one listening to the music and telling your kid whether or not it's appropriate for them and helping, you know, decide what they're into, that's on you as a parent. That's your bad parenting, not my. Ba- I'm an artist. I'm going to do what the fuck I want. You
1: know, or I remember reading a whole lot of pearl clutching and a lot of Karens getting super pissed off because they watched the Grammys this year. And, uh, oh, you know, yeah. artists like Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B were winning awards. And oh my gosh, that you know, the whole uproar with Ben Shapiro about WAP and just then the, you know, <laughs> gosh, how horrible is this? <laughs> you know, I ben guarantee Shapiro. you, when you were a kid, you wore out your cassette of Straight Out of confidence So just shut the fuck up about all of this fake outrage. Uh, about how it's not for it, they don't purport to be for kids. If you don't if you know nothing about artists like Nicki Minaj or Cardi B or Megan the Stallion, then you you don't have any room complaining that your kids are listening to their that's your that's on you. Right. That's totally on you. And it's a hundred. Don't outsource bad your parenting. responsibility as a parent to the artist. That's not it is. It really is. It, if you're not screening or at least monitoring what your kids consume in terms of entertainment, then you can't put that on the artists. They're gonna do whatever they want. And remember, you know, when you were a kid your parents hated 2 Live Crew, and they hated NWA, and they, they, they hated uh, oh, they absolutely any artist that, that, that gyrated their hips in a music video. And, and, you know, when they were kids, their parents hated Elvis and the Rolling Stones. So, you know, just shut the fuck up and let the kids listen to what they're going to listen to. It's not going to corrupt the children any more than whatever you listened to when you were a kid did you. So just back the hell up and let people like what they like.
0: Right, and but it's, again, it's, it's that whole strand of, of pearl clutching like you talked about that you know it 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 goes on hand in hand like deadpool had this mad outlash against it and they had to come out and say this is a rated r movie you
1: idiots it's, and I think it's I remember right seeing there. a couple of trailers, there were a couple of YouTube videos where Ryan Reynolds basically came out and said, hey look, don't bring your kids to this, mm-hmm. don't, it's not a PG-13 movie, this is an absolutely an R-rated movie, and it's R-rated for a reason, and if you know anything about the character, you probably understand some of the reasons why it is that, and if you mm-hmm. don't know anything about the character, then don't come and see the fucking movie.
0: And or maybe watch certain...
1: it first and decide. right. And in certain cases, I think maybe there was a little bit of Streisand effect on that. You know, being able to come out and get ahead of that and say, hey, this is a an adult film. Kind of propelled it to being one of the biggest money-making R-rated movies ever. And certainly one of the biggest uh, R-rated superhero films ever. It's one of the only ones. Um, but, you know, it was just, it had to be what it had to be. But then, you know, on the other side of the coin is, like, I think the quote-unquote gritty reboot... <laughs> um, it's, it's great in certain instances, uh, but then I think it gets overwrought in a lot of cases too. There are certain properties that just don't need a gritty reboot. There was a movie that came out a couple months ago that I kind of thought about seeing, but didn't because one of my personal boycotts is, uh, I'm not a big fan of Mel Gibson ever since some of the shit that came out about him a couple of years ago. Are, are you talking about the genetic. Santa movie? Yeah. What was it called <laughs> Fat Man or something? Or what Man. The hu- I didn't, yeah. Fat Man, a gritty Santa reboot, which I mean, come on, Really? It looked interesting, but I mean, the one-two punch of "Hey, it's a gritty Santa reboot." Roll <laughs> eyes, and the fact that the one of the driving creative forces behind it—I think he also either wrote or directed, maybe both—and starred in the movie was Mel Fucking Gibson, who's kind of on my permanent shit list because of his violence and anti-Semitism. Right. Um, I didn't see it, but yeah, I didn't see it. Um, but you know, I mean, some things. Well, okay, like take for example the uh, there is a another gritty reboot. Coming out very soon at the time of this recording. It should be out within the next week um, on HBO Max, and that is the. I really hope they keep the music. Uh, Because as as cartoony as the original movie was, it was kind of gritty for the time in the 90s. Right, but it's so Um, ridiculously dated now. Yeah, it's a little campy now, um, but at the time, I mean, you couldn't really make a movie about Mortal Kombat, which was very controversial in that particular zeitgeist because of the blood and the fatalities and the fact that it was, oh, it's a video game, and video games are for children, and it's unrepentantly violent. You know, again, just Whatever, yeah. Um, but, you know, I've watched the trailers for the new version, and it looks really, really good, not just for the greedy reboot aspect of it, but also for the fact that they have actually cast a very, very large amount of Asian actors to actually play the Asian characters. Hey, Which, shocking. especially in the current climate, with all of the anti-Asian violence that's occurring in the the, the the particular time period that we're living in, that we're going through, I think it's pretty great. Because, I mean, originally, I think they kind of got away with not necessarily casting those actors in those roles, because when the original Mortal Kombat, I'm talking the original OG Mortal Kombat, came out with Ed Boon and the rest of those guys back at... Uh, at um, was it Midway at the time? Was it Never- Neverhood? Neverhood I believe it was Midway. Yeah, yeah. When they first put together that uh, that universe, and it is only seven or eight characters deep, they kind of used who they had laying around. You know, they had some some motion capture artists and some uh, some uh, martial artists that they kind of put in funny costumes and did the the sprite capture with those guys. And yeah, they used who they had. Uh, so to be able to go back and actually do it right this time, to be able to cast Asian actors in the roles that, like. Of the ninja characters, or like the um, the folks, the characters who uh, were of, of ostensibly Asian origin in the original book, I think it's kind of it's, it's irresponsible to ignore the influence of that culture on that particular property. So I'm really glad they're able to really go back and and give it a serious try this time. The trailers look great, uh, even though to a certain extent. Mortal Kombat's always been kind of violent and gritty based on the source material. It really looks like they're going to do it right this time, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that out when it drops. Yeah,
0: and and, and and it looks like it's going to be a lot better than what we got previously. Now, I loved the original Mortal Kombat movie, don't get me wrong. I own a copy of that film on Laserdisc to this day. You would. But there's... <laughs> a, like you said, there's like the, the whole Scarlett Johansson problem where they cast mm-hmm. uh, like Belgian... Uh, Christopher Lambert as Asian Thunder God Raiden. Doesn't make any goddamn sense, does it? And Sub-Zero was
1: a French martial artist behind the blue mask in that movie.
0: Oh, yeah. Francois
1: Petit. They never showed his face, did they?
0: No. No, that's fucking ridiculous. And and I think a great part of what's making this reboot more uh, accessible and more possible is that in the time intervening since... uh, they've had a chance to develop these characters over the course of however many more combat games we now have a mythology behind how sub-zero became sub-zero and how scorpion uh, went to hell basically and all of these yeah it's more than just a tournament anymore it, there's definite backstory to it which i think is going to do nothing but add to the mythos and add to the to this uh uh, new take on it, which I think is fantastic. I'm very much looking forward to it. But again, you're right. This is definitely not a child property. This is not something I mean, I'm going to let my 16 year old see. it, But my kids, not, my other kids, not going to be in the room. I, yeah. I, I don't think I need her seeing some guy get his arms ripped off very brutally.
1: Well, I mean, and that again is like uh, th- something that they couldn't do. They tried. They had to keep it PG 13 when they did the original movie. Um, no so, fatalities. Uh, I remember. W- I remember watching the the yeah no fatalities. I remember watching the director commentary when that came out, and he was very quick to point out the only drop of blood in the entire movie is during the final scene between Liu Kang and Shang Tsung, just before Shang Tsung pulls up all the souls of the the dead warriors to jump up through the floor and and take on Liu Kang for the the ultimate Mortal Kombat title. Um, they're doing some very close quarters combat and Liu Kang catches him in the face with an elbow and Shang Tsung reaches up and he's got a little blood coming off his bottom lip. For um, a a movie based on a video game where you could rip somebody's head out and have their spine dangle as their body drops, (laughs) for that to be the only drop of blood in the entire movie uh, was... For for the movie to have been as good as it was and as enjoyable as it was for fans of the original property but still to be... to, To have that much restraint on the violence, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to... In my elderly age, as I approach the end of my life, uh, watching somebody <laughs> with with no with no stoppers on with with no governor on their engine that can they can just floor it and go for broke and, and see what happens when you've got this brutal video game and, and even later installments of which allow you to do things like have x-ray fatalities where you're you know killing somebody and the the, the point of view of the camera switches to the interior damage that's happening to their body, which is catastrophic and, and debilitating. Uh, so, you know, it'll be fun to kind of see where they go with it. Not that I'm necessarily praising violence, but, I mean, certainly danger from a safe distance can be entertaining if it's handled appropriately. Agreed.
0: And, uh, again, like I said, I th- I'm very much looking forward to that. And, and and that's something that has been designed, just like we were talking about with uh, the boys and with uh, uh, these other properties, it's been designed to be this
1: gritty, more serious take on kind of from the get-go rather than a right. reboot. They just they're, they're starting off that way now.
0: Right. And I think that's where we get uh this disconnect between the grimdark DCU shit and and like cuz I mean we've had dark and 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 twisted kind of comic book type stories before. I never forget we had Blade uh back in sure. the 90s. Was it 90s and early 2000s something like that?
1: When the Blade movies Yeah, but were a lot of that out? stuff was pretty indie at the time. There were a lot of indie indie books that were that were able to explore those things, but only in the last maybe 30 years have we really seen a lot of mainstream titles in both comics and in movies based on those comics that have really felt comfortable exploring these darker psychological themes.
0: And I'm pretty sure it wasn't Blade-rated R. I want to say it was. I don't remember.
1: I think it was, yeah. But uh, it should have been if it wasn't. There should be a whole conversation
0: about Wesley Snipes' behavior on those sets. Jesus,
1: he was a monster in its own. But... well, Well, yeah, but he also, you know, grudgingly does deserve credit for essentially if you really want to get down to brass tacks about it, that was the sort of the, the very beginnings of what became the Marvel universe. And even before Spider-Man, we had blade it's true. And you know, so I think there's this, there's a,
0: there's a dance, there's a walk. There's a thing that people need to do to be able to manage content in a way that is gritty and dark and approachable because yes, certainly everything that happens in the boys, Holy shit. Gritty and dark, violent. It never lets up for And extreme, but it's a it's very much necessary in the vein of the story that they're telling. It's not excessive. It's not gratuitous outside of the realm of believability for this universe. What you right. see is what you expect. I feel the same way about Preacher. It's 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 definitely uh, very beholden to the source material without really going sure. too far over the line. Uh, whereas you get things like Batman and Superman, and you know you have this source material that can be can be dark and grown up at times, but by and large it's more colorful and 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 comic booky and kid friendly, and and so to take those properties and make them into something that they are not, I, I feel like that's the dividing line with the boys, yeah. with Preacher, with Invincible, with like The Walking Dead, for instance. That's a comic book adaptation too that a lot of people seem to Uh conveniently forget but these are dark stories these are told in a dark way they were never set out to be you know polished kids fair things for young people
1: Uh, whereas batman superman wonder woman aquaman yeah, i got to try and shoehorn that stuff in ex post facto because it's what the audience is want now on some level right. and in a lot of cases it kind of winds up being an ill fit that chafes a bit when you see it on the screen mm-hmm. or the page
0: and i think that's where the dividing line is and then you got people like Deadpool who just stride that line rampantly and just do it on purpose it's it's subversive in its own self so um well i don't know what about you guys I want you to kind of weigh in with us let us know where you feel like these uh, movies are headed. Do you, are you a fan of this, uh, gritty and dark, uh, storytelling the way that they're doing it? Uh, are you more of a fan of the MCU version of storytelling where it's kind of, uh, kind of dark, but mostly approachable? And I mean, where do you come down on that? Is it necessary to you? Is it unnecessary to you? Are you one of those people that don't watch what your kids watch and and kind of wring your hands and throw up your, your hands and discuss when something happens. Or uh, I'd like to think if you're listening to this podcast, you're a little more with it, a little more collected. But uh, let us know what you think. Hit us up on our Facebook group, which is uh, facebook.com forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. Or send us an email at fandom at gmail.com.
1: Or if you got a topic you'd like us to tackle or if you'd like to be a guest on the show or know somebody who would, then send us an email at fyftalentbooking at gmail.com and that will also come to us and we will happily read it. In the meantime, if you uh, like what you're hearing, give us
0: a share, give us a comment, let us know uh, if we're doing a good job, where we can pick up the slack, let us know. And uh, uh, Otherwise, if you're trying to share us, we're available wherever you get your podcasts. we got a dozen places easy where you can find Spotify
1: iHeartRadio Stitcher what do you, wherever you want to go to get your fine anyway, podcast we're going to be there waiting for you Apple Podcasts Google
0: Podcasts just ugh, it's crazy we're everywhere it's fantastic but
1: an embarrassment of
0: riches an embarrassment which is oddly enough my nickname from high school but hey yo <laughs> but I want to thank you guys for listening again and uh, remember what I always try to tell you everything is fandom fandom is everything there